0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit GraceCityBoston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Hey, good morning uh, or good evening. If you're in the room, you may have uh, mentioned uh, or you may have heard Haley mention earlier in our announcement. We actually have um, a live audience that's in the crowd uh, with us, uh, listening in. And so if, if I don't know you, my name is Brian, uh, and I'm the lead pastor of great city church. And so I just want to say thanks for, uh, checking us out. I know that we're in uh, continuing in this kind of weird digital season. And so it, it's always a, a bit of work to, um, uh, always a bit of work to get in front of a screen. And so, uh, just want to say grateful that you're deciding to do that, um, this morning and joining in with us. And the, the last thing I want to let, uh, all, kind of everyone know about is we just concluded a four week, um, uh, we, we call it Sound Faith. It's kind of like a, a short four-week series. And this first one that we that we did was on how to enjoy the Bible. And so if you go to our YouTube page, uh, you can find all five, uh, all four of those lessons there. They're only about 15 or 20 minutes or so. Um, there's a, a sheet with them as well that you can kind of follow along uh, inside of that. And so we just kind of have, in those, seek to um, go kind of at a deeper level than, than in a really practical level as well than we can kind of do in this particular space on a Sunday morning. And so if you haven't had chance to check out That Sound Faith um, go log on you can uh, watch all of those videos uh, you can Netflix it you know and knock them all out in one go or you can kind of spread them out however you like uh, and then we'll be releasing more of those kind of as we go um, throughout this kind of season, we'll be doing that as well. Hopefully, we'll get to do some of those live um, as pandemic uh, stuff kind of ramps down and uh, and we get the space to to be able to do that. But I'm excited today about continuing into um, a series that we're calling The Holy Week. And so uh, really what we're looking at is the the final week leading up to uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so in five weeks, we'll actually be at Easter, which is kind of a crazy thought that we're going to be uh, celebrating Easter in 20. Uh, 2021. And so we are kind of looking at um, it through, through the kind of the lens in, of, of scriptures, the narrative of scriptures, this final week leading up to ultimately uh, what we would say is the single greatest event uh, in the, the Christian faith in the history of the Christian faith. And so what I want to do on the front end, though, but before we kind of dive into this particular text, is I want us to kind of um, operate, as we think about this particular series, um, I want us to operate with the imagery of an iceberg. So I want you to kind of get get there for a second in your head. I want you to kind of uh, imagine uh, an iceberg. And so maybe you've seen one live or you've seen one um, on TV. So I want you to think about this particular image. Now, um, what is an iceberg? An iceberg is what? It's essentially a large piece of ice that is broken off of a glacier. So this is a freestanding, floating, typically large uh, piece of ice that's going to be uh, kind of floating around. Now, one of the things that we can all agree on as we think about this imagery and concept of an iceberg is that icebergs can be an extremely dangerous thing, right? I mean, maybe that's kind of when you think about iceberg, you think um, dangerous thing. I mean, we know what uh, 1912, uh, what happened in 1912 that kind of shook the whole world, uh, The the This company had created what they said was the most um, powerful and strong uh, cruise ship to ever exist. It was this thing called uh, the Titanic. And what we know happened with the Titanic is what? That it ran into a a glacier and ultimately took this thing down. And so we kind of look at that and think, um, we think glacier, we think um, it's a dangerous thing. It can be a scary thing. Well, why are they? Um, why are they dangerous? Right? They're they're dangerous because of what? Because their size is deceptive. Right? They they have a deceptive size. And, and honestly, actually, if you really think about it, it's not really their size that's deceptive. It's it's the fact that the angle at which we tend to look at them, is what makes it so dangerous. It's the, the angle and the direction that we tend to look at a glacier that can make it such a dangerous thing. I mean, it is, a, it is a large mass floating in the water. And if we're looking at it from the right angle, if we're not looking at it from the right angle or the right depth, right, this is when you can get into trouble. You, you see, most of us, when we think about a glacier, the image that probably came into your mind was what? The tip of the glacier. What you see on top of the water. But but what any um, any good captain, right, uh, of a boat, any good sailor uh, would tell you is that it's what? That it's what's under the water that's the most dangerous. Because the, the, the tip of the iceberg can be impressive. Have you ever seen it? I mean, it can be an impressive, intimidating thing. But it's what's under the water is where things get dangerous. It's what's under the water that takes down the boats. Now, here here's what... Here's why I want to use this imagery as we think about this um, series of the next uh, five weeks that we're in. All of these events that we're seeing are really, you can look at these things and just see the, the tip of the iceberg. You, you can just see the story and not see what's underneath the story. I mean, we, we can go through and, and read all of these particular kind of events that are happening, things that we would say are, are, are very important things. And it'd be a great story. It'd be a great narrative. And, and totally miss everything that's kind of laying underneath what Jesus is talking about. So, for instance, last week we looked at the triumphal entry, right? So Jesus comes into um, the city, right? And, and it seems as if that he's coming in to claim his what? His earthly power. It, it seems as if he's coming in to create a, uh, an earthly monarch, That is what the Jewish people wanted. That's what Jesus' disciples thought that they were going to, that they they thought Jesus was going to do, was he was going to do a kind of earthly monarch kind of kingship and overthrow Rome. That's what they thought. But what did we see last week? If you haven't seen it, you can go back. But what, what did we see last week? We saw, man, underneath that there was all kinds of things underneath what was happening in the triumphal entry. Way, way more things than what we were seeing on the surface was happening underneath We're going to see a a, a very similar um, thing uh, tonight or today, this morning, whenever you're watching. Uh, And so if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be at. Luke 22, uh, verses 7 through 20 is where we're going to be looking at and reading um, tonight. So I'll give you a second just to get there. It'll come on the screen, or you can look at it on the QR code. Um, Or if you have an old-school Bible, do you remember those? Uh, They're made out of paper, and they have font on them. Uh, You can open that thing up as well uh, to Luke Chapter twenty-two, seven through twenty. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll we'll dive into our text for today. Um, God, thank you that that you still communicate to us. God, um, we're grateful for that. That you didn't uh, just create and kind of leave us to to figure stuff out, um, but but you've given us um, instructions. God, you've given us poetry. You've given us songs. God, you've given us uh, narratives like what we see here. God, we you give us teachings inside of narratives, God, and and so we're grateful for that. Uh, we just pray today that that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would just reveal more of yourself to us, God. We want to know you, God. We want to know you at um, at a deep level, God. At a, at a, as, at an intimate level, God. God, we want to be changed by you, by your presence. And so, God, we um we love you, God. Would you just help us? God, help us to, to stay within the, the boundaries of your word tonight, that we wouldn't take anything out that, that, that's not there, but you would help us to have understanding, God. God, we believe that your word, um, that it changes us, God. It shapes us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. Um, this, is, uh, this is what Luke tells us. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make make preparations uh, for us to eat the Passover. Uh, Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Verse 10, listen, he said to them, When you enter the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and tell the owner of the house, the teacher, ask you, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. Verse 13, so they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, when the hour had came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We see this kingdom of God theme all throughout the scriptures. Verse 17, Then he took the cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And when he took the bread he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now we said last week that if you don't see Jesus as king that you don't see him rightly. That was kind of the the claim last week was, if you don't see Jesus as king, you will not see him rightly. And so in this narrative, we see what? We continue to see Jesus. uh, He continues to um, exert his control and influence over the Holy Week. This is what he's doing in the story, right? He is, essentially, this is what we'll see um, all throughout this this kind of narrative that we're looking at, is that Jesus is going to sovereignly stand over all of the events, everything that is happening that's leading up to his death and resurrection. There is not a point in the Holy Week where Jesus is not in control. I need you to hear that. Because it'll seem as if he's not in control it will seem as if kind of the wheels have fallen off this kind of way of Jesus movement as we continue to progress to the crucifixion and the resurrection. But if you, if you, if you don't receive anything else, I just want you to hear that there is not a moment where Jesus isn't in control. He's practicing his influence. I mean, look, look, what, look what Luke records in seven, right? He, he says that the, this day of, of Passover has come. And Jesus says, what? This sounds very familiar. It says that Jesus sent Peter and John. And he said, go make preparations for this Passover, right? And then there's this dialogue that goes on where they're like, Jesus, where, uh, where are we going to go? How are we going to find um, this particular thing? What you have to understand is that um, all the Jewish people have come into Jerusalem. We talked about last week the importance of Jerusalem. They've all come into Jerusalem for the Passover. So this is a, it's a, the city is crowded at this point. And Jesus is giving them instructions. And he's saying to them, um, I want you to go to this place. He is leading. He is orchestrating. We see the same thing last week in the, in the narrative that we were looking at. Um, uh, in the narrative we were looking at last week, he, he did what? He told them, hey, go find a colt for me to ride on. He said, you'll, you'll, you'll go. Remember that? He said, um, he said, you'll go. You'll see a, a colt tied up. I want you to go grab him. And bring him to me. See, Jesus is, is orchestrating; he's controlling the events into the Holy Week. He's fully sovereignly standing over all of these things. There, there's no part of this thing that is is not not in in not under his control, and not what he's doing. Look, look what it says. Notice what Jesus says at the beginning um, of this narrative, because it's, it's a fascinating thing that begins to to happening here. Look in verse 14. It says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I fervently desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, why was it that Jesus was so focused on having this dinner during Passover? What what was Passover to them? What was the significance of Passover to their particular crowd? Remember, we talk about um, the, the, there's the tip of the iceberg and then there's everything underneath the iceberg. You see, Jesus has deliberately chosen this time in this dinner to have the conversation that we're going to look at, that we're going to observe. Now, what we know is we know that the Passover uh, was a meal that was eaten before the Israelites were freed from captivity um, in Egypt, right? And so the night before God liberated them, they were instructed to eat a meal and to repeat this meal each year. God was giving them instructions. Uh, Exodus records God's instructions to them. So in Exodus chapter 12, um, you have to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 12, he lays kind of all these instructions for Passover out and he says this to them. He says, This day, what is this day? We'll get at it in a second. This day is to be a memorial for you and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. You see, the Passover story. Um, essentially takes place when what? When God's people, the Israelites, were under Egyptian control, right? They were um, under their uh, Egyptian captivity. And essentially, what does God do? What do we know that God does in the Passover? Uh, He raises up a leader named Moses. Maybe you've seen the movie, right? And Moses challenges Pharaoh. This was the earthly, kind of the strong earthly monarch at this point in period. And uh, he raises up Moses to uh, challenge Pharaoh to allow God's people to be free. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that what? That Pharaoh's rebellion and wickedness, that inside of his rebellion and wickedness, he refuses to obey God. And in God's final judgment on the Egyptians, what Exodus, the Exodus story tells us, is that God is going to take every firstborn from the nation of Egypt as a response to Pharaoh's wickedness and rebellion. Now, the problem was what That the Israelites were living among the Egyptians. Right? So God makes this proclamation and says that on this night, as a result of your wickedness, Pharaoh, I'm going to take every firstborn son in your kingdom. But the Israelites are there. They're a part of this kingdom. So, so what exactly happens? Well, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, it's an interesting thing, right? Because God is essentially, uh, obviously, if they lose their firstborn sons, the, the Israelites are going to be a problem. And so God uh, gives them some instructions. This way he says to him, he says, I want you to take uh, blood from an animal that you sacrifice, and I want you to pl- uh, place this blood on the doorposts. And that when the, the essentially when the, the, the spirit comes by, when the, the, this death kind of passes by, he will see the, the blood on the doorpost, and your sons will be safe. And that when you wake up in the morning, your firstborn will still be alive and everyone who hasn't received my instructions, all the Egyptians, all of those living in the kingdom under kind of Pharaoh's reign, all of their sons will be gone. They'll all be gone. This was the Passover. Now, what was, what was happening in this moment is what? God was essentially, um, he was exerting his power and showing the Israelites that it was his grace or his favor that was ultimately gonna release them from the captivity that they were experiencing. And so he says, my, my fa- follow my instructions. My favor will be upon you and your sons will be safe. Now, they celebrated and remembered this event every year by participating in a meal together. And this event, this event that they participated in, is what came to be known as the Passover. Now, the Passover was what? One of the single most important events in the, in the history of the Hebrew Scriptures for God's people. One of the most important. Something that they were going to recognize over and over again. And so let's get back to, let's get back to where Jesus is at with his disciples now. So Jesus has ensured that they have a location in Crow Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and a dinner celebration together. Now look at the flow of the night. Let's look at how this kind of flow goes up. So uh, Luke states that Jesus took the cup, that he gave thanks, and that he began to speak. So he probably stood up with this cup. And begin to give thanks. Now, for his disciples, this would have looked like a very familiar uh, thing for them. Uh, this is typically how the Passover meal uh, worked, and so typically the one presenting would stand up. He would take the cup, or whoever the presenter would t- would take the cup. This would be the the first cup of of wine, and would give thanks. And then typically a question would be asked to the presenter. So usually the youngest person in the family uh, would ask the presenter what uh, essentially the question that would be proposed is what makes tonight different from any other night. What makes this such a special night with such a a special dinner? And the presenter would would speak, and and he would typically explain the meaning of the Passover. And he would do so, the way that he would explain the Passover is he would uh, probably, most likely, go to the book of Deuteronomy, right? So Deuteronomy really kind of explains out the meaning of the Passover. So in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, for example, the, the presenter, he, he may would say something like this, right? He'd say, um, our forefathers, our ancestors were slaves. And, and God looked upon their affliction and suffering, and he freed them. And then maybe he would kick to Deuteronomy chapter 16, right? And then, then he would say, uh, do you see this bread So he would hold up the bread in the Passover meal. He would hold up the the, the bread that would be there on the table. And he would say, uh, according to Deuteronomy 16, uh, this bread is the bread of our affliction. It's the bread of our ancestors' affliction. This is the bread that they ate in the, the wilderness. And so he would explain the meaning of liberation and suffering and so on through this dinner. So we got that imagery in our head? It's locked in. So Jesus... Now follow this, Jesus is following a very similar process. Everything's looking the same to them in this moment. They're like normal Passover meal in the upper room with Jesus. But what do we, look at the text, what do we see happens? So he's following this process, but when he gets to the answer part, he says something shocking. You see, he doesn't talk about God saving them in the past, but he starts talking about what? The future. He, he states in verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is he doing? He's letting them know that something is about to happen. Something is on the horizon. Secondly, what do we see in this text? We see that he doesn't he doesn't point to the affliction that was on their ancestors that that they experienced. He points to the affliction that he's about to experience. We, We see Luke records in verse 19, it says that he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying what to them? He's saying, My body is going to be broken. It's gonna be broken for you, that this will be necessary so that they can experience freedom from their bondage. I mean, he even says to them, Do these things in remembrance of me. Do what exactly? What do you do in remembrance of me? He says, Practice this mill, Rem- remember his, uh, his upcoming sacrifice and death through this mill. Luke, uh, verse 20 of 22. Then he says he he takes the cup. And, and he states, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now you have to understand, right? Because we read this, we're in 2021, and like I'm reading it through my, you know, uh through kind of just my lens and brain. And I'm like, oh, okay, just there's just kind of some stuff uh happening going on here. It kind of sounds some of it I kind of understand. If you grew up in church, right, you probably are you're familiar with the story and 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 you kind of understand what, what is happening here, but, but what you gotta understand is like Jesus' disciples are hearing Jesus say this, and they have to be shocked by what they're hearing. This was shocking to them. I mean, they they had been practicing this traditional meal their whole life. Their parents have been practicing it. Their parents' parents have been practicing it, their parents' parents' parents, parents have been practicing it. I mean, they had this rhythm of Passover meal locked in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they just knew it, you know? Maybe it was like, maybe you grew up in a church where there was, like, a lot of liturgy going on, and you just kind of, you know, you could just, um, you could just repeat it, you know? Like, you just had it down after a while. Maybe it just came kind of mechanical for you in some sense. This was, in, in some ways, like, they kind of just had this Passover thing just locked in, this Passover meal locked in. And so Jesus now, Jesus now is kind of shaking it. What is, what is essentially um, he's doing? He's reimagining the Passover dinner. He's, he's reframing the Passover for them. He, he's now, now what is he doing? He's now laying claim to the Old Testament traditions and celebrations. Jesus is laying claim, hear that. Jesus is laying claim... To the Old Testament traditions and celebrations. Daryl Back says it this way He says that the Jewish mill becomes Christianized, a memorial act in memory and proclamation of Jesus' death. See, Jesus' uh, call to remember is a distinctly Jewish thing to do, right? This is something that they were familiar with, something that they did uh, annually. Now, remembering does what? What does remembering do? Why does someone call you to remember something? It, what, what does it do? It solidifies the community's identity by taking them back to their roots, right? To events that created who they are now. This is what remembering does. This is your roots. This is who you are collectively together. This is who you are. And so Jesus says, remember this moment. Remember the bread. Remember the cup. Jesus is saying, what is about to take place, my body and my blood is going to be shed for you. This will be an identity former for our community. This will shape us. This will form us, right? Now, the difference between the, the meal that they're taking at the Last Supper, right, it was, it was more uh, perspective, right? So it's, it's anticipating and looking forward towards something, towards Jesus' sacrifice. And the meal that we celebrate, that we're going to uh, actually celebrate here at the end, is more retrospective, right? It's kind of looking back at the death of Jesus. So when we, as a community of believers, when we take the bread and cup together, it's to affirm the relationship— that we have with, G, with both with Jesus and with one another, right? We are falling in line with the founders of our faith. We are identifying with them in this Luke 22 narrative. This is what we're saying. We're falling into um, this thing. This is why Paul says, uh, Paul says to his letter to the church at Corinth, um, he's giving them instructions on how to take the bread and cup, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this dinner, communion, right, dinner, Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, right, whatever you grew up, bread and cup, uh, is what we call, this dinner is about what? It's about proclamation. It's about a statement, a, a collective statement that we, uh, that we make together. And so at the, actually at the end of this, we're, we're going to celebrate this. We're going to proclaim the Lord's death together. We're going to proclaim his uh, resurrection together. We're going to celebrate the redemption that we've received through Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. That's what we do when we do this, um, when we do this uh, together. Now, I want to look at—I um, just want to kind of briefly look at it. So Jesus is going to introduce a theme here uh, that, that is a theme that plays all throughout the New Testament and really taps into an Old Testament uh, reality. So look back at verse 20. So Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 20. Look at how he finishes and ends out this particular uh, narrative. This is what he says. He says, uh, in the same way, he also took the cup um, after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So I want to look, look at this idea of covenant. Because what we see is that, that covenant runs all throughout um, the biblical narrative and kind of the redemptive history of God's people this idea uh, uh, of covenant, right? It was something that, that honestly is something that we've kind of talked about in the past, but I kind of want to just briefly summarize what, um, what a covenant was, right? So a covenant was simply an agreement between two people, now, there are three realities that we see about uh, a covenant that we kind of can flesh out in Scripture. Particularly, we see this in the Hebrew Scripture. So, he, here's the first thing. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Kind of just three thoughts on covenants that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, they were executed within existing relationships. So, covenants were really, rat- they, uh, essentially, they ratified the relationships that were already existing. They formalized the relationship, right? This is... Um, uh, this was when you, you know, uh, this was the the. In, in some ways, it's the DTR, right? Determine the, the relationship. This was the formalization of the existing relationships that that were already there uh, inside that. And so, the the covenant um, that we see uh, happen was was something that God wasn't obligated to do. It was something that he decided to do. Uh, So they were executed in existing relationships. Second thing that we see is that covenants dealt with life or death situations. So these were agreements in scriptures uh, over weighty matters. These weren't agreements that were kind of made loosely. And so what we know in scriptures that Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, right? So we wiggle and do all this stuff. Uh, Abraham was considered justified uh, through uh, faith uh, was was considered justified by faith within the covenant that he made with God, the the covenant that God made uh, with Moses concerning the Israelites. It literally concerned their life and death as a journey to the Promised Land. So God comes in and says, "I'm going to make an agreement and a covenant with you that that was literally going to save their life." Thirdly, we see that these covenants were administered by God and that they contained corresponding obligations. So, they were executed in existing relationships, they, they, were, they dealt with life and death situations, so weighty matters, and, and we see that they were administered by God. So humans don't come to God and impose a covenant on, on God, right? It, it's always God graciously coming to humans. And so it is an agreement, but that term can be somewhat misleading when we think about the the idea of, of an agreement, right? It sounds as if humans and God are on the same terms. They're not. They're not equal partners in the arrangements. It's not what we see in the scriptures. See, when God calls humans into a covenant, his expectation is that the person embraces it without reservation. So he would come to them and say, here are the circumstances of the agreement that we're in. I need you to receive this agreement without reservation. And I need you to follow and be obligated to what you said you would be obligated to. I want you to follow these things. And that's how the, uh, the uh, essentially how this covenant would, would play out. However, there was a what? There was a continual problem with the Old Testament covenants. What was the continual problem? We were, right? We were the problem with the covenants. I mean, think about that. If God is coming and saying, you were obligated to keep this, like I promised myself to you, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Incredible statement. The breakdown, if it's not on God, it's going to be on who? On us. We're, we're, we're essentially the ones who can't maintain our end of the covenant. So let's think about this for a moment, right? Let's think about this, think about this iceberg illustration um, at the beginning, Jesus has gathered his disciples in a crowded Jerusalem in an upper room. They're doing the Passover meal that they've been used to doing their entire life. He is now taking something that is familiar to them. Something that is significant to them. Something that is holy to them. Something that is them, something that, that is, is marking one of the single greatest events in the history and life of the Jewish people, and he's doing what? He's saying, I am the new covenant. He's reframing it. He's saying, the old covenant, the old covenant that existed, Right, this continual process of, of sacrificing that we see happen throughout the Old Testament of, of slaughtering an animal and sacrificing and doing this over and over again and, and a mediator and a priest, it's kind of working in between. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no I am the, the new covenant. This is why the author of Hebrews says Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest. And so what the old covenant couldn't do, because we couldn't keep our end of the deal, Jesus did. Jesus says, "What you cannot do, I can do." I had to be shocked by this, right? I mean, this was this was 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 shocking for them. Do you know what's, You know why the the new covenant is such good news? Do you know what we get in the new covenant? Security. Don't we? I mean, think about that. Maybe you, maybe, you struggle with, um, maybe you struggle with feeling as if God uh, can love you, or, or you, maybe you struggle with if you're secure in your relationship with him. Do you know what the new covenant does? Right? If you're one who's identified with Jesus... So you're one who's decided to follow the way of Jesus that, that has said to Him, God, I recognize the sin debt that I have against you. Like I, I know that Jesus lived uh, a perfect life that He took on life, uh, or He took on the, the full wrath of God for me. If you're someone who's who's done that, believes you had a sin debt, seen Jesus as as the um, as the redemptive payment for your sin, and committed your life to Him, do you know what comes in that? You, do you know what that is? That's new covenant. That's security. That's can't can't break it, can't get out of it type of security. This was a new This is what Jesus was introducing in an upper room with a couple of his disciples in Jerusalem over two thousand years ago. That we that we celebrate now. The Apostle John, um, he's abandoned on the Isle of Patmos, and uh, he has these incredible visions of the heavenly realm. Um, This happens all throughout. This is how we got the book of Revelation. Listen to one of the visions that he has. Just think about this Passover dinner for a second uh, in this upper room. Listen to the vision that John has, and and I'll I'll close this out uh, with this. This is Revelation 19, 6 through 9. John says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. Verse 8. She was given fine uh, linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So John is having this heavenly kind of imagery, right? This kind of end of the day, end of a life, kind of where Jesus has come back, we're, we're gathered there in this moment and, and the, the scriptures continually refer to God's church as his bride. So we're collectively his bride. And so John has this kind of imagery, this that he's seeing about this bride is coming forward and, and the lamb is there and, and all this kind of going on. Now listen what he says in verse nine in the imagery. I'll get back to verse eight. We'll get done it. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then verse nine. It says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. So think about this. So think here's the under, kind of underneath moment, right? Jesus says what? He says, I will not partake in this meal again until the kingdom of God has come. When the end of the day comes, the imagery that the Bible gives us is that the church gathers around the marriage supper of the Lamb and that we will celebrate together the the redemption that we received in Jesus' death. See, this is what he was doing. This is what Holy Week is leading up to in this moment. See how he's giving all of these markers along the way? Last week, he's like, I'm king, I'm in control, I'm not doing what you think I'm going to do, I'm, not, I'm after a heavenly kingdom, I'm not after an earthly kingdom. And then he gets to the Passover, and he flips the Passover on its head, and he says, my blood will be the new covenant. So when you remember in the future, you will no longer remember, uh, uh, essentially just remember God's people leaving Pharaoh, in Egypt, you'll remember me, my death, and my resurrection. And so we're gonna we're gonna celebrate that um, we're gonna celebrate that tonight. And so maybe you're here. Um, you know, maybe you're here and you, you've not ever trusted Christ. Or maybe you're watching you've not ever trusted Christ before. Maybe you don't have a type of security that comes with a new covenant. Maybe, um, maybe today you need to trust Christ. You can, uh, you can reach out to us. We'd love to chat with you and kind of talk um, through that process. So maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, and, and maybe you just need to express, um, uh, you just need to develop a more posture of gratitude and thankfulness towards God like maybe we i mean we're kind of in a season right now where it's difficult to find a lot to be grat- to have gratitude and thankfulness for right i mean we're all walking in a ton of sadness but but one of the things that we can celebrate as God's people is that and we are securely tied through the blood of Jesus we have a we have um, the ability to be in relationship with God the Father through the death life and resurrection Um, of Jesus we can celebrate that so I want to give us just a little bit of space now Uh, so if you're if you're watching let me just kind of give you um, just a little bit of space so you can kind of just close your eyes wherever you're at or if you're in the room as well I just want to give you just a little bit of kind of space Uh, just kind of sit for a second we don't a lot of us probably don't get a lot of quiet moments uh, where we're at and so maybe you can do that at home or wherever you're you're watching from God we, um, God we thank you that you made relationship with you possible, and that you did it through your son. God thank you that you didn't, um, that you didn't leave us in our sin, God that you didn't leave us in our rebellion. God we were separated from you, and and the way out of that was through your your perfect son, through your sinless son, God, and so thank you for that. God, thank you that you've. Um, that you've given us something—the Lord's Supper, Communion, bread and cup. God, you've given us this as a reminder, God, to remember, remember the redemption that we have through Jesus. God, would would you help us to not just remember it through a uh, uh, through a dinner collectively together, but we would remember it even as as we leave this place, even as we end worship, as we end our gathering, that it would it would mark us, that we'd be a people shaped and changed by what Jesus has done for us. God, we pray this in Christ's name, amen.